Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of In the Zone. I am one of your three co-hosts, Anthony Pinello, along with Giancarlo Alino and Chris Martelli. This week, we're going to kick it off with another top 10 list, top centers, top 10 centers in the NHL 2019-2020 season. A little bit of a different approach this time around, so Giancarlo, I'm going to kick it to you and just uh, maybe break that down. All right, yeah, this is going to be a different list. Instead of uh, going one by one, we're going to give our honorable mentions. And then uh, we're going to kick it off from 10 to 7, give three players at a time. Then the next guy will go and give his next three until we get down to number one, which uh, I'm sure we'll all have the same one on the list. Uh, you all know him well from the Toronto Maple Leafs, Austin Matthews. <laughs> uh, just joking. But yeah, we'll have this probably the same one at number one while I'll talk about him. But uh, in the meantime, we'll start from 10 to 7 and or sorry, 10 to 8 in the honorable mentions. So, Chris, off to you. Alrighty, um, yeah, this year was pretty controversial with with coronavirus happening and the season not finishing. But first honorable mention, he's very young, he's very talented. Elias Pettersson from Vancouver, he's the guy that just missed it out of all my honorable mentions. I think he's uh, just one of the most skilled guys in the league already. Um, if I'm a Vancouver fan, I'm very excited for the future with this team. They have Besser. JT Miller, they have a lot of guys that, to me, that JT Miller signing was fantastic. Um, another honorable mention, one of the best players of all time, Sidney Crosby. He didn't make the list for me just based off of he only played 41 games, but when he was in the lineup, we all know what he does. His two-way game has only gotten better over the years. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, one of the best game changers in the league. And, of course, the other two guys, both in Tampa Bay, Steven Stamkos and Braden Point, they're two really key players for this Tampa Bay team. Steven Stamkos actually, I thought, was having a much better season this year than the, maybe the last three, four. Um, we all know how, how great of a leader he is. We all know how great of a scorer he could be. But for me, the biggest um, enjoy and thrill in his game is how he's transitioned his game from goal-scoring machine to arguably one of the best playmakers on the team. So... That that's really hard to do. Stamkos is there as well. Braden Point, another elite two-way center who will only dominate the game as the years go on. So those are my honorable mentions. Number ten, the Boston Bruins. Patrice Bergeron. Um, you know, year after year, uh, his stats actually aren't as good as like Pedersen and Stamkos and all the basically all the guys I just mentioned. But when you talk about dominating a game for literally a decade. Uh, and he's basically the culture of Boston. He's improved. He's improved. Um, you know, I think Marshawn and a lot of people say Pasternak kind of carries Bergeron. I think Bergeron overall just carries the culture in Boston. He's just been the cultural guy there for a decade. And if Charles was not there, he's easily one of the best captains in the NHL. I have Patrice Bergeron at number 10. Uh, number nine. I have Winnipeg Jets' Mark Scheifele. The year he had was absolutely sublime, amazing. Um, him and Kyle Connor actually produced this chemistry that easily top five line in the league. Kyle Connor, to me, has outplayed Patrick Laine this year. And, uh, yeah, he's one of those surprising, consistent, elite goal scorers in the league, especially dropping on draft night. Uh, Scheifele's two-way game is brilliant. He's one of the best role players, one of the best leaders in Winnipeg. So I have him at nine. And uh, this one's kind of a surprise for me. Number eight, Sebastian Ajo. One of the best Corsi ratings in the NHL. And the fact that he had 38 goals and 68 in Carolina is just a stat that can't be ignored. Uh, he, he's really small, but he's really feisty. He's skilled. And as the years go on, he will only get better defensively as well. But without Sebastian Ajo, Carolina is nowhere near I think a playoff team. So those are my first three on the list. Uh, my first three honorable mentions here. I'll kick it off with Sebastian Ajo. Only 23 years old. Uh, every year he's just progressed in the league. I, I love where he's at in Carolina right now. Mark Shifley, who consistently performs year after year. The points will always, uh, I think like an 80 to 90 guy, but really he's one of the better two-way guys in the league. And that's where uh, he gets most of his love. And, Sidney Crosby, I got him out as well. Only 41 games. He was having a solid year, but we're going to have a chance to look at some other guys here. So those are my three honorable mentions. Uh, kicking it off at number 10, 
going Elias Pedersen. Uh, I think he's been, I think he's going to be right there with some of the best in the world eventually. The way um, Vancouver's coming along with all those young players and he's the focal point of their success. There's only one point. They were one point out. They were tied for the wild card. I would have loved to have seen them in, but um, I'm sure they'll get there eventually. Number nine, Steven Stamkos. 66 in 57 games. The Sats will always be there for him. With that whole team, you can kind of tell they're not trying to kill themselves during the regular season based off what happened last year. Uh, you could easily cool. put Braden in point there too, but like, yeah, they've both been so good. Um, and my number eight, making his entry into this, Mika Zabanajad. Well, I just want to start off by saying sixth overall to the Senators, so suck on that. Uh, him and Panera in their first year together, They've, they've been sensational. They, uh, they have a lot more wins than uh, some of the teams that are actually in the playoffs right now. So um, he was kind of one of those guys where every time he seems like he's going to get going, he gets hurt. And then he had that first 70-point year with the Rangers, and everyone thought, okay, he's coming into his own. And then he just kind of exploded with him and Panarin. So I think going forward, that's going to be a duo to watch. Yeah, so my honorable mentions kick it off with uh, John Tavares from the Leafs. Uh, his goal scoring hasn't been where it was from last year. He's still getting points, but uh, I thought he'd be in that top 10, especially with the year he had last year. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, he didn't make the cut this year. Uh, Sasha Barkov from Florida. I was expecting a lot better. He has Quenville now. He's supposed to be the Jonathan Taves for Florida and Quenville's system. Uh, I really thought this would be a year where he'd showcase his offense. Hasn't really been there. And the last honorable mention, Sidney Crosby, just didn't make the cut. Was If he played a few more games, five or six more games, he'd definitely be a lock. But didn't do So uh, my number 10 and 9, both from Vancouver. I got Elias Pettersson at 9 and JT Miller at 10. Uh, these two, especially on a team like that, up and coming, the way they've been able to play, Pettersson, is becoming one of the best centers in the league offensively. And he's still so young in his career. Uh, and JT Miller, this new star for him in Vancouver, has really picked it up. Uh, Besser hasn't been the greatest this year, but JT Miller has picked up his offensive slack there. And uh, number eight, I got Evgeny Malkin. Uh, just what can, in Crosby's absence, the way he's been able to play, all the points he's putting up. Uh, still showing that age hasn't affected him. So, Genny Malkin, number eight. Okay, kicking off my number seven. I got the breakout player. I got Mika Zibanejad of the New York Rangers. I think what he's done this year is almost historic. 41 goals in 57 games with a new line mate. I, I didn't think Artemi Panarin would be this good. We were talking about his contract about a year ago. We were kind of, you know, we were we were iffy about it. And then he goes to New York, and like I was saying, I think he's my heart winner or at least runner-up. Mika Zibanejad is the ultimate game-changer on the team. If he's not going, Panarin usually without Zibanejad, I don't really know what the production would be like. Vice versa without Panarin, I don't know, because those two guys as a duo – Absolutely deadly. Uh, Zibanejad's Corsi rating has only gotten better every single year, which means that he is more of an impact on his team now. It is funny, like Pinello mentioned, that the Ottawa Senators had this stud centerman. They didn't wait on him. They got Derek Broussard instead in a trade, and we all know how that worked out. You win some, you lose some. This was a fat loss for the Ottawa Senators, a big win for the Rangers. And for me, Sky's the limit was a benefit. I don't know if he can be better than like a Matthews or a McKinnon, but in terms of game changing, he's up there with the elite. So this year, if this is what we're going to see for years to come, watch out for the New York Rangers moving forward. My number six, Jack Eichel, Buffalo Sabres. When you talk about offensive ability, he's up there with the greats. 78 and 68 on a mediocre Buffalo team. He runs the offense there. He has for a while. Is he as coachable as a lot of people have expected? For him, his, his defensive game right now is still kind of non-existent, but that's not his role for this team, uh, especially now with them getting highly anticipated guy in Rasmus Dahlin. But man, Jack Eichel, one of the best offensive centers in the game, and I think he's an X-factor year after year to win the Art Ross. 
if McDavid gets hurt. So Jack Eichel at number six. And my number five, I have Evgeny Malkin, Gino, the most overlooked player to me. Might, he might be the most overlooked player in, France, in, in in NHL history. I mean, the year he had last year was not good. But then this year, 74 points in 55 games. Are you kidding me? That's a, that's a ridiculous stat. He's a workhorse. He will bully you on the defensive end. He will give you that big open ice hit. He'll score a hat trick if he has to. He's, he's still the elite game changer. He always has been. He's been in the league for 14, uh, sorry, 16 years now. Still going strong. I got Gino at five. Alrighty, at number seven, I got Jack Eichel. Uh, sometimes you can only do so much. I mean, the guy, he doesn't have a whole lot of help there. Uh, 78 points. That was fifth among centermen. Um, he was a plus for the first time in his career, even though Every other forward in the top six was a minus. I don't know how he managed that stat. Uh, I had the Buffaloes peg for a playoff uh, push this year. That that obviously did not work out. But Jack Eichel will, he should produce every year. He'll be in top 10 in scoring, I think, every year. He's one of the most offensively gifted guys. I just hope they can actually put a team around him so we can see him go in the playoffs. So for now, he's at number seven. Number six, I've got Evgeny Malkin. We've seen this story before. Sid goes down. Gino Stelps up. Uh, they've dealt with some injuries from, you know, Crosby and Gensel being out a good chunk of the year. I think last year we were talking about him, like he went point per game, but we were saying he wasn't having the best year. Like that's, that's the kind of guy we're dealing with. So when he's on, he's one of the best in the league. So I got him at six. And at number five, I got Patrice Bergeron, who is 24th in points among centermen. <laughs> he's usually close to the... He's usually close to the top of the list in face-off percentage, but I have him there because his two-way game allows guys, uh, guys like Marshawn and Pasternak to really flourish offensively, so he puts them in perfect positions all the time. So for that reason, I got Bergeron at number five. Yeah, I got uh, seven. I had Shrifley over Malkin. Uh, even though Malkin has more points in him and less games, a lot less games, Shrifley had to deal with a lot, show that he's a true leader on that team with Bufflin out, the whole thing with him. Uh, all the injuries they had, contract holdouts, he really steered the ship there for Winnipeg and still had a great year. And Winnipeg is not a bottom feeder in the West. They're not a lottery team. So Shifley for sure, maintaining that, number seven. Number six, Mika Zibanejad. Of course, Ottawa must hate their life after trading him. He has 41 goals in 57 games, which is crazy for him. Uh, he's really developing. New York was so close to a playoff spot with him and Panarin playing so well. And uh, five, I got Jack Eichel, much like you guys were saying. It's only so much you can do. Uh, there's only so many coaches in the league and GMs in the league. You can hire and fire after every year that he's in the league. Uh, maybe he'll get to one where, okay, he'll be able to deal with for more than two years. But uh, hasn't found that yet. Maybe if Buffalo can make also found that, find their guy, but... I like the way Eichel's improving as uh, an offensive player. He's being a real threat and living up to his potential. So I got him at number five. <clears throat> this is where it gets easy. Number four, Austin Matthews. Uh, I don't have him above the other three just based off of, I think, star power. The star power is there. The production is there. The game-changing ability is there. This has been the best year for Austin Matthews. A lot of people... I remember last year's playoffs, or I mean, uh, the last two playoffs before that, everyone's like, oh, you know, Matthews is a great goal scorer. His offensive game is amazing. His defensive game isn't there, and he hasn't been clutch in clutch situations. Last playoffs, he led our team in goals, and he was incredible. And then you transition that into the scandal that happened in the summer, and he was supposed to be the captain of the Leafs. And then, of course, they gave it to John Tavares, probably to cover up that. And that, I guess, motivated Matthews to improve his game completely. Um, this is the most complete Austin Matthews I've seen, and it's scary. He's 23 years old. He's one of the best even strength scorers in the NHL. He had 47 goals. He's, I think every year he's going to be in the Rocket Richard conversation. Now that they have a coach that's going to maybe put Matthews with a Marner consistently, I think this guy could hit 55 goals. He's that good. He's that smart in front of the net. If this guy's uh, defensive game only improves, I could see him being 
an even more elite version of Anze Kopitar. And we all know how great Anze Kopitar has been in his career. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. So, um, yeah, uh, he's the best even-strength goal scorer. And for that reason, I have him above guys like Malkin and all those other guys. So I have Austin Matthews at number four. Are we continuing? Am I going four to two? Yeah. I mean, that's number one, we all know who it is. <laughs> So my number my number three is the guy in Cole Arbor, Nathan McKinnon. I really wanted to have this guy at number two, but man, the other two guys, you know, they just had the, the year. Nathan McKinnon to me is a guy that has brought culture and excitement back to Colorado. This is a guy where two years ago, two and a half years ago, I was saying to Pinello, I don't know if he can be that offensive juggernaut. He was getting fifty goal uh, fifty points. 55 points, 63 in his rookie year. And then all of a sudden, Matthew Shane gets traded. And then we are just, we witness a monster. And he has been that monster for the last three seasons. He is easily, to me, the best, most explosive center when McDavid is out. I have McKinnon ahead of Dreisaitl when I think of consistency, at least in the last three years. He's the second best Easily, he's for me. He's been the top, a top three player in the NHL the last three years, and that trend should not slow down anytime soon. You have a line mate in Rantanen, you have a leader in Landis Cog. Sky's the limit for Colorado. I have McKinnon at three, and of course at number two, the German Leon Dreisaitl. What else can we say about this guy? 110 and 71. He's just an absolute freak. He's a monster. You can kind of call him the. Giannis Antetokounmpo in the NHL, he's just a freak. Uh, he goes in the corners, he'll bully you. He'll score five points in a game if he has to just to get his message across of his dominance. He, to me, is probably the Hart winner and the Art Ross winner. So he's number two on my list. Yeah, number four, Austin Matthews. Uh, it's pretty surprising, most of his damage coming at even strength. He was on a... Oh, man, he was probably just a little south of 60 goals, I think he was on pace for. Uh, he's aver- He averaged 21 minutes, which was a big step up from him after getting fucking 15 in the playoffs about three months prior. Um, yeah, I think once he realizes how to use his, um, his big-ass frame defensively, like how he does offensively, then I think uh, the sky's the limit for him and he'll be unstoppable. But for now, Austin Matthews is at number four. Number three, Nathan McKinnon. Uh, I've been very impressed with him more than usual this year because Rantanen and Landeskog were in and out of the lineup the entire year. So the next guy on the next guy in points was Kale McCarr with 50. That guy's a defenseman. It's his third straight 90-point season now. He's an established superstar in the league. He'll be 25 at the start of next year. This is just a scary young group of guys. And um, number two, yep, Leon Dreisaitl. Led in power play goals, game-winning goals, points. First in uh, even strength points, second in even strength goals. The guy just basically had everything this year. Um, I want Matthews to look at Dreisaitl's game and try to model that. Because just the way he positions himself, I think he's one of the best in the league at. He's one of the scariest players to think about what he can become going forward is Dreisaitl. So he's got the number two spot. Yes, same for me. Four, Austin Matthews, uh, on pace there for 60 goals, uh, slowed down a bit, then first leaf to get 50 in a while. Uh, Matt Sundin, Kessel, they all were goal scorers. They never got to that level of scoring 50, especially so young in his career. Uh, There were times during the year the media were constantly just ripping on him. Oh, he's non-existent out there. We don't see Matthews, but he still managed to get 48 goals, so... I live with that. Uh, he's continuing to improve himself. He's only 23 years old, which is scary. He's got so many years to just get into his peak physically and uh, defensively as a player. I think we're the best is yet to come for him. Once he manages, like you said, to look at Dreisaitl and figure out how to use his body to his advantage, he'll be unstoppable in the East. Number three, I got Nate McKinnon. And goes out. He still continues to put up points. He continues to lead that team into a playoff spot. And uh, he continues to dominate in the West, especially with guys like uh, McDavid, Dreisaitl, and then all those teams like St. Louis there. He still holds his own by himself. And, uh, yeah, the other number two, Leon. Even though he's going to win the MVP, he's going to win everything. 
Uh, I just don't have him yet at that number one spot, but he's making it interesting. And I like that if you're Edmonton, at least you have two guys you can rely on aside from just one, like they had to do for the last three years. So dry sidle at number two. Yeah. Number one, Connor McDavid. What else can we really say? Not a lot of flaws in his game. He's lived up to the hype. He's lived up to the expectation. For me, the scariest thing is if this guy didn't get injured, what kind of point production getting right now? I think you got to kind of think about that injury and Manning gave him in his first year. He missed, uh, I had him in fantasy. I think he, he played about 40 points. So he was already over a point in a year. His hockey IQ might be the best in the game. The only knack to his game is his ability, but that is not his role. There are he has linemates like Cassian, he has Larson, Nurse. He doesn't have to worry. His game is flawless. He can lead the league in goals. He can lead the league in assists. Not a lot of flaws to this game. I'll just let you guys piggyback on my thoughts on Connor McDavid. Yeah, uh, just three shy of a hundred. You would have been that would have been four straight years of a hundred points, which. We actually don't see in this in our lifetime really anymore. Um, it's only things like this, like shortened seasons, whatever it may be. You're going to look back in history and be like, yo, imagine if he played this amount of more games. Because that's basically where we're at with Connor only five years into the league. Can he catch Gretzky or Ovi or any of these guys going forward? So, like, I don't think he'll ever get any lower than number two on the list. It depends on Dreisaitl and McKinnon. But he will be there every year. He's the poster boy of the NHL. This guy is just a treat to watch all the time. Just an absolute killer. Yeah, it took over from Crosby. Way, uh, like the last couple of years, it's been like, oh, Crosby's still number one. No, he's not. It's uh, McDavid's league. He scores 100 points for fun, even after a serious injury to his leg. So he's insane. Like, like, he's still that quick off an injury like that. He's still able to perform like nothing happened, and he still puts up 100 points a year. So in the future, as he gets older, as he reaches his peak uh, and his prime physically, as he gets a little bit bigger and faster, he's going to probably put up close to, like, this era's version of, like, Gretzky numbers. I wouldn't put, like, 130 up in 140. Like, he's that good. He can probably get two points a game if he really wanted to. He's, uh, yeah, he's just this player of the generation, I think. Yeah, there's really no one better than him. No. Do you ever see him moving down at any point? Is there a chance Dreisaitl can jump him? Because I was pretty close this year. Uh... <laughs> if they play together, maybe. If they don't, I don't see Dreisaitl moving up past like 90 points. For Edmonton, this is uh, so I was looking at the standings. It's been a while ever since the season shut down. Um, they were in a playoff spot. They were well into a playoff spot. And with the way those guys were playing a little better than they usually do, which is the stats will always be there. But this year, kind of a different feeling. I was really wanted to see them go at it with Calgary in the first round, maybe build some of that, you know, the animosity going again. Yeah, I think uh, I think what Calgary did this year was a flat-out disappointment. You think of oh, Boudreaux, yeah. 50, 50 points? Are you kidding me? Come on. Uh, Monaghan as well didn't. To me, Matt Kachuk was their MVP this year. Uh, he was their best player on a nightly basis. If I'm Johnny Goudreau, yes, you know, you're small. But you need to you need to be a little more confident. I feel like when, like we've said a million times with him, if he's not rolling, um, that team is just, uh, they're very dull. They're a very dull team when Goudreau is not going. Uh, they're, they're, uh, I think their biggest flaw to their whole organization is their identity. I don't think they really know what their identity is. They have a lot of great defensemen. They don't have a good goaltender, but their forwards are solid. And they, for now, I think, I can't believe I'm saying this, I've Direction than Calgary. Do you guys hear me? Yeah, Chris, what were you saying about Calgary? <laughs> <laughs> Am I connected? 
Barely, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, man. No, it's just, uh, yeah, like, they, they don't have an identity, uh, Calgary. Uh, Goudreau and Monaghan and Kachuk are amazing. After that, it's a big what if. It's a big question mark, kind of like with Edmonton. You have Dreisaitl and McDavid. They were just one and two on this list. But moving forward, it's like... What, yeah, what I think it's safe to say, though, with Makachuk and so on the team... No, I know. Like they're 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 in a good position, but again, like they need a lot more pieces, and I think they need to sit down and they need to uh, they need to really assess what the hell is going on. At least this year, like what went wrong? Because Makachuk, to me, by far their best player. Sean Monahan. I don't know how you take a step back after being a consistent twenty goal scorer for five six years and then nothing. So. I don't know if it's the coaching change. I don't know if it was the the Bill Peters incident. I think they need to just sit down. They need to have a gentlemanly conversation with the team, and they need to just sit down and see what went wrong and what they need to get in the offseason. Like, kind of like exactly what Vancouver did. They, they didn't know what they, what they really had last year. Some key moves, they get Tyler Myers, who I think was a slept on defenseman for the longest time in Winnipeg. And then they get JT Miller, who, again, like Alino said, turns to a superstar. So I think they need to make a couple more free agent moves, and then we could truly see who the better team in Alberta is. Hey, you know what? You remember when Tampa Bay made that move, and it was like they got, they, they got rid of JT Miller, and the, they got a first-round pick, and everybody was praising Tampa how good they did. No one really realized what JT Miller could do for the Vancouver Canucks, and he fit right in that system. And Vancouver is right there now going forward with Besser, Patterson. They got a good cup of, you know, Myers, you brought up Quinn Hughes there. Like, they're looking pretty solid all of a sudden. So that ra- that three-man race there with Edmonton and the Flames, like, it's, it's looking all right in Alberta. Well, it's funny, too, because everyone was making fun of their GM for the longest time because, you know, you're drafting for 10 and 8th overall or 6th overall, and you're making all these minor mistakes. But then all of a sudden, yeah, you know what? We're going to go out. We're going to trade for JT Miller. He's a, he's on the third line on Tampa Bay. He was a first-round pick. You know, let's see what he can do. And bam, he just becomes an elite player on a team where they absolutely needed that. And what does the GM do instead of, you know, just trading for him and it's a what it's a let's see approach. He signs him long term. So now they have JT Miller long term. They have all these key assets. So I think actually I don't know if a lot of GMs do this in the NHL. I think they need to look at what their rival GM did and say, well, we need to find that JT Miller on this Calgary team. We need to find that key player to the puzzle. I know that this year's free agency, it's looking kind of rough in terms of forwards. I know Taylor Hall is not, he's not a name that a lot of people want because he's not a, he's not a winner. So I don't know if Taylor Hall would be the guy for Calgary or Edmonton. If if he goes back to Edmonton, that's absolutely hilarious. But um, yeah, I think they need to, uh, the GM from Vancouver went from being a laughing stock to arguably a genius so we have to wait and see. But, yeah, I do agree with Pinello. I think these three teams, they're in a very similar situation, and they're all very close to one another. What if um, – let me just fantasize for a second. If Taylor Hall actually went back to Edmonton, would he fuck up the chemistry or would he improve things going forward? 100% he'll fuck that up. <laughs> <laughs> and how much money do you think he'll want as a starter? He's going to – million dollars because if i'm the gm of any team i'm saying you're getting four for one year and then we'll talk about that in january i want to go north of eight uh, he's not he's not gonna get if he thinks he's gonna get 10 million dollars he's got another thing coming i don't think he's worth that Uh, i I think maybe around seven and a half eight get what maybe duchene got something like that but he's He's getting to that point where he's not an elite player. And it's funny because he won the Hart Trophy two years ago. He's not an elite player. I see him as a great top six player that has elite skating ability. But other than that, he's not a, he's a, I don't know if he's a great teammate. He's not a winner. He doesn't really bring that much value to a team. 
So if he were to go back to Edmonton, I think I agree with Alino. I think he might screw up the chemistry because we all know Taylor Hall. He wants the puck too. So all three of those guys, if they're on a top line, then that means probably Nugent Hopkins is going to be the odd man out. And I think they need Nugent Hopkins. So I I think we should stay away from Edmonton. Yeah, if I'm Ottawa, I go after him because he needs some luck to get first uh, draft pick, first overall pick. He does that for the lottery, so Ottawa should go after him. He seems to be one of those guys, like, I see him as a basketball player. If the whole team isn't built around him, I can't really put him into other situations. I just feel like he'll fuck up everything. And I don't mean that to diss Hall because he's a phenomenal offensive player, but I really cannot see him anywhere. He's, he's basically an expendable. He's like a DeMar DeRozan, where he's a great third option, and that's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, yeah, I really don't know. I think if he were to go to the East, I think that is something, like if you were to go back to the East, maybe go to like the Islanders, you could have that one-two speeding combo in Barzell and Hall. But again, you know, if they sign Hall, Barzell's a uh, RFA. Like, that could fuck it up, too. So I really have no idea where Taylor Hall would go. A lot of people are saying Minnesota, which I think is hilarious in the long run because they have a bunch of old farts who still want to plug it around. Um, But you got to remember, Taylor Hall is already, like, 28, 29. So, man, he's one of the most interesting players in the league. But let's talk about this last dance. Let's talk about basketball. Let's talk about the greatest of all time. Let's talk about Michael Jordan. We started off with the journey. Number The first episode was absolutely tremendous for me. It was eye-opening as well. Let's just talk about his high school coaches cutting him and motivating him even more. But guys, the guy to me that motivated him the most was his brother Larry Jordan, who absolutely bullied him night in, night out. What were your guys' thoughts on the first episode? <laughs> oh, I loved it. Just uh, just seeing his upbringing, like when you think of Michael Jordan and he goes undefeated in the finals and you think the guy's just perfect and then you see that, that there are the hard times to build up this character that is Michael Jordan. Since, so see, seeing his brothers talk, uh, just the way they, they all sound the fucking same. Like all the, now that I'm thinking about it, like all their mouths move, they all look the same. It's just, it was hilarious watching them all talk about him. Um, yeah, I really love the first episode for sure. Yeah, even going to his college years in North Carolina, just the way that he was treated on the team. Uh, James Worthy's like, yeah, I was good. For, I was better than him for just two weeks. And then he comes out and... They finally give him the ball, and that's all he wanted. He shows why he's like that good at college, and he was even what surprised me was he was satisfied with maybe going back for another year. But then he found out through other people, okay, if you go to the draft now, there's a chance you can go in the top three, top four, top five. So took a chance on himself and uh, went to the NBA. Portland screwed up; they could have had him at number two. <laughs> And they could have had him and Clyde Drexler together, but the whole reason why they don't want to do that because where uh, they had Clyde Drexler, they could have easily moved him to small forward. Could have probably won a championship earlier, but uh, yeah, Portland messed up big time. I when I think of the first episode, I just think again like what you guys said about just the journey to get where he he had to be. Uh, you know, for him, I think it was all about improvement and that is what separates you from being you know just a typical basketball player and then becoming one of the best of all time it's about trying to steadily improve yourself mentally emotionally physically and again like you said uh he goes he goes into north carolina and he sees james worthy being the best player on the team he goes up to him for advice and literally two weeks later Bam, he's back. He, to me, is the definition of hard work. I think Michael Jordan, he just surpassed everything. You know, the first two years, oh, we're going to call this guy Mike Jordan. He's, a, he's just a rookie, you know. Mike, let's get and with respect, becomes hunger to even get better. And then he started getting the ball to a monster. And the fact, it's amazing how much the game has changed. You know, a lot. 
lot of people uh, were saying when he got drafted, oh, this guy's only 6'6". He's not gonna. He's not gonna amount to anything. He's too small. He can't carry a team. So the fact that you know that there was an ideology in basketball where you had to be like over six nine to be relevant, for me that's amazing because the game has just flat out changed completely. But man, MJ was just different. Let's move on to uh, episode two. You know, you're talking about Scottie Pimpin. You're talking about Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause was the enemy for the longest time. You go up to one of the greatest coaches, Phil Jackson. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you go 82-0. and 0. This is your last season with this team. What were your guys' initial thoughts on that statement? Oh, I think for him, it's just um, he did a lot of great things, but he, he, uh, he kept getting in his own way. It didn't really make any sense. Like All they do, they keep, they keep winning year after year, and then to come up with a statement like that was pretty confusing, but... For Scotty, the main thing there, that contract that he signed, everyone's saying it was criminal for so long. At that, like $18 million isn't exactly a low number. And coming from like that perspective, like he wanted to take care of his family. That's what the whole episode was pretty much based around. So I, I love Scotty's side to it for sure. Yeah. Uh, a lot of like Jerry Kroos, like you said, did a lot of good things. But this is a situation where he messed up big time because you look at what they've done. Michael Jordan, 94, 95, didn't even play really. 95, he came back in March, but he wasn't really there the full season. Then they get eliminated by Orlando. 94, you missed out on him. So you have this three-peat, uh, two back-to-back championships. You're going for a third, and you want to rebuild with Michael Jordan still active, <laughs> Scottie Pippen still active, Rodman still active. Like I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, maybe he wanted to be, like they were saying, he wanted to be the attention guy that everyone goes and says, oh, they're praising him. He's the guy that really put this all together. Should have stayed in the background, collect your championships, build your resume, and then once Michael Jordan retires, you go elsewhere, and then everyone praises you then. But he got into his own way, and uh, it just ruined a whole legacy of what could have been later on. Yeah, that's another thing. Why was he so, like infatuated with rebuilding like i know that they're like especially you know you have a guy like michael jordan on your team and he has said numerous times he's all about winning like when he was injured and he almost like ended his career and they're saying yeah you have a 10 percent chance that you're gonna your career is gonna end if you play he's like well i want to play like i don't care i want to play i want to make the playoffs and he made the playoffs and they faced larry bird and that was just he loved it. He was in the bright lights. You know, he had 63 points that one game. They still lost. <laughs> so that's just, that was just, that showed how great that Celtic team was. And it was just, I think that injury and that situation opened up greatness right there. The fact that they barely made it in, they faced the best team in basketball. That was a dynasty at the time. They had four guys that were Hall of Famers, McHale, uh, DJ uh, playing defense, Larry Bird. He's an elite freak. He was a guy that barely missed. Kevin Durant basically before KD. And you see this guy, MJ. He's a rookie, and he's dropping 63 a game. And that only motivated him even more. And then you have guys like Jerry Krause saying, yeah, it's okay. We won. We keep winning. But, yeah, I got to think in five, six years. You know, we got to keep rebuilding. We got to bring in these young pieces. And Scottie Pimpin was not about that. MJ was not about that. So even Phil Jackson, at the end of the day, he didn't get the the respect. Uh, we talked. They talked about in the doc, where right away Jerry Krause and Phil Jackson, they just did not have that chemistry. They got in, and he was just being a dick. He's like, "Yeah, this is your last year. Uh, we're we're gonna cut ties with you after this." It it's kind of funny. Like you think of that, and you kind of think of Dwayne Casey and what happened with him in the raps. Like they they basically he had one of the best records in raps history, and then you're gonna fire Dwayne Casey, a coach of the year. So there's just some things I know that it all worked out with Nick Nurse and all that. But, man, Jerry Krause really put the Bulls in a hole after all that success. And I think the only reason was he was thinking about the future way too much in an era where you have a dynasty. Like, I know dynasties always end. We saw it with the Pistons, which I'll talk about in a second, and uh, the Celtics. So... I know that you have to move on eventually from, you know, successful times, but when you have a guy like MJ and Pippen, you should never have that mentality even in your brain. 
So to me, that was just a flat-out flaw from Kraus. And that was the beginning of the end. So that was the last dance. But moving forward, we got to talk about this guy named Dennis Rodman, this freak. You know, he looks like a freak. One of the best rebounders, probably the best on-ball defender of all time. He was just a unique he was just a unique guy. Just looking at him, he was a part of that bad boy Pistons team. But before I talk more about Dennis Rodman, we got to talk about that. What were your guys' initial thoughts on their game style in that time? And do you think that their style made them more successful than the skill they had? Because we all know Isaiah Thomas, he was an outstanding point guard, but maybe he didn't have the the skill maybe to maybe be a dynasty. So maybe... Is this the Trey Pistons team dynasty just based off of physical toughness? That's my question. Take it, buddy. I think it's a little bit of both. I think Thomas was a real good player. Uh, he doesn't get some of the credit sometimes because of his career got cut short a little bit, but uh, he was instrumental in Jordan wanting to bulk up a little bit, take his uh, whole competitive nature seriously. Uh, that whole team, though, when people say Jordan played a, a bunch of plumbers and truck drivers and all that shit, just go watch that series. If he was getting just thrown around, the referee didn't really give a fuck. Like, if that was happening now, LeBron, as soon as you blow a fucking wind in his face, it, it's a foul. So, like, <laughs> and you're alive, you have to get up and play. That's not a foul. They don't see referees like, yeah, keep playing on. Everything's good. You're bleeding, that's fine. Go to the bench. But, yeah, MJ had to deal with all that. You were allowed to do a lot more stuff, be more physical. When someone's going to the basket, uh, there are a lot harder fouls. Now you can't do that. you got a technical as soon as there's something borderline to that. So he did the era there, just from a defensive standpoint, was much tougher to dominate. And for him to do that and get through the Detroit Pistons teams, I think, just shows how good Jordan really was. Yeah, that's why I really don't compare players today and players back then just because of how different the game is. But, like, they were a revolution. Not, not so much of their defense and their bullying tactics, but, like, Isaiah Thomas was, like, he had to go up against guys like Magic and Bird, and he beat them in the playoffs. Like, he's a, he's a small guy, and you look at the league today, and, like, everyone's got a small point guard, and they had that, um, uh, I can't remember his name, the centerman. It starts with an L there. He was shooting oh, three. Yeah. He's very outspoken, but like <laughs> he was the first big man to uh, to shoot threes around that time, and it's so like I, the, you know, you look forward to today's game, and a lot of there's a lot of uh, Pistons to take away from today. Yeah, uh, I thought that without that that team and without the the toughness that the Pistons brought, I don't I remember pushing Scottie Pippen in the finals there and Pippen, you know, they all thought that Pippen was going to get up and start throwing hands. And, you know, they just had that mental toughness. I mean, Detroit had the physical toughness, but Michael Jordan, you know, even though he got physically, you know, stronger in the off season, he also became a better teammate. And he said, listen, guys, these guys just, they're getting under your heads. They're getting in your heads. That's why they lost time and time again. So, Michael Jordan's approach and Phil Jackson's approach was we got to be a team. You can't because the coach before Phil Jackson was just all about giving the ball to MJ. And we all know that he would score 60 and he'd score. He averaged like 33 in a season, but you're not winning anything like the selfish game. It can work sometimes, but especially at that time, you're not winning anything with, with the Celtics there, the Pistons, the Lakers. If you're just a one-man team, it doesn't matter if you're the best player in the league. Look at what's happened with LeBron all these years. He's gone to the finals all the time. If you're not going to have a good team around you, you're not going to be successful. So I think without this Pistons team, I don't know if we would have seen this Bulls dynasty even transpire. So the physical toughness that the Pistons brought, I think brought out the best in MJ and brought the best out of MJ in terms of being an even better teammate. He made Pippen better. He made Rodman better when he came over. And to me, it was just the mental toughness that, to me, just personified how great Michael Jordan was from going from being emotionally invested in training, mentally trying to get his body better, and then physically putting it all together on the court. He was just an absolute monster. 
And the fact that they just absolutely killed the Pistons in the finals and they didn't even look back, which brings me to my next point. When you lose in the finals or if you lose in the conference finals, what the Celtics did to the Pistons where they kind of walked off, their dynasty ended. Same thing with the Detroit Pistons. Do you think the Pistons were in the right at that time to walk off? Or do you think it is right that they are still very much disrespected to this day? Uh, yeah, so they're uh, in the right. They should have just walked off, give Michael Jordan his due, and then just talk shit about him after. Would have at least saved face. Isaiah Thomas uh, would have looked a lot better. Uh, as you saw, or as we're going to see, that ended up leading to the next year, the Olympic team, the dream team. Michael Jordan used his weight and said, you know what, Isaiah Thomas, fuck that guy. He's not on the team. So that's what happened. Even though Isaiah Thomas was probably the one of the best point guards in the league at the time, uh, he wasn't on that team. He wasn't included in that group because he didn't show respect to Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan, still to this day, uh, they're not exchanging Christmas cards. They're not exchanging birthday wishes. They're just... <laughs> They'll mention each other's name in their Hall of Fame speech, but that's about it. That's as far as it's going to go. They do not like each other. Uh, if they had a sit-down interview one-in-one like Shaq and Kobe did, it'd be a lot different tone because uh, they wouldn't be saying, oh, yeah, this was great when we played here. No, it'd be like, I hate your guts. Uh, my team was better, and uh, I left you off the dream team because I despise your career. So I want to see that one day, though. I, I think it'd be great TV. So those two, it's, it was fun. You know what, boys? I fucking love it. I love the fact he did, they didn't shake hands. That's a real rivalry right there. Like, you look in today's game, the way we grew up, we don't really see that. Everyone fucking dabbing each other before the game and taking pictures with each other's jerseys after. Like, in the finals, maybe just a little handshake, little, just a little acknowledgement, but I love that. It just adds more fuel to the fire. <laughs> so I'm on the other side of that. Maybe I have a different perspective, but I got no problem with it. <laughs> I think the only problem with that being said was you're going to be salty regardless. You know, your dynasty ends, you get eliminated, you know, you get used to winning. You're going to get upset when you lose. But I think my biggest thing was you, you, you bring up, you know, like you think it's fine. They just walk off and it adds fuel to the fire. But you got to remember that MJ, every time they lost, he shook their hand. So I think that is where I think MJ really was like, damn, this guy's not going to shake my hand after they beat me like three times in a row and I shook their hand every time. Like, okay, you're a piece of shit. Like, you're a bitch. You're all this. And that's exactly <laughs> what he said, you know, on the doc. He didn't hold back. He said, he, you know, he talks a lot of bullshit. You know, he brings it, you know, oh, mod oh, in modern times, you know, I think I was in the wrong. But he knew what he was doing. So, um, yeah, like, uh, Pinello, I agree with your point where like it adds fuel to the fire. But again, I think when you become a pro athlete, there has to be that respect factor. I mean, like you could like look at what happened with Kevin Durant. He goes to he goes to the Warriors and he goes from being one of the most respected guys in OKC. You know, he's a humble dude. He leads the league in scoring almost every other year. And then he goes to the most winning team in franchise history and sorry, in NBA history. So it's like, okay, are we going to start, like, just because he leaves, like, look what happened with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant at that All-Star game where they're not shaking hands, you know, there's that animosity there, but in the end, you know, they, you know, they, they respect one another. They, they know that they're both unreal athletes, so at the end of the day, they're going to acknowledge each other. In this case, Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan Man, they're not acknowledging each other. They're they're not even talking about. They're talking about. Oh, I, I kicked his ass. Oh, he kicked my ass, and then I kicked his ass, and they walked off. And they're pansies, and they're this and that. So I think at the end of the day, you just need to bring that respect factor. Even if you walk off, maybe at the end of it, say, "Hey, man, you kicked my ass. Um, I just want to acknowledge how great you are." But that never really happened. So I think that's where MJ was kind of like thrown off and like. I'm going to shake your hand and I'm going to lose. And I'm the most competitive guy in NBA history. We all know that. Look at MJ, MJ, Kobe. They have that assassin mentality. They always want to win. I think that's where MJ's kind of speaking facts. So it's like, if you look at me and see how aggressive and motivated I am to win and I still shake hands, you best believe should do the same. So I think that's kind of where I agree and disagree with your comment, Pinello. But if you want to keep going, 
let's keep talking about it. It's a little debate. <laughs> um, for the KD thing, though, I actually had no problem with that with the Warriors because, like, they really didn't have a rivalry before that. Other than that Eastern Conference matchup, they never really faced each other. So, like, you know, everyone says KD going to the best team. It's, it's like it rigs the whole thing. When you listen to his words, though, he's gone on multiple podcasts. He didn't really talk about that. He just said, I pictured myself where I think my game would flourish the most, not even including Steph and Clay. So for the MJ thing, like, I still feel like we're missing that in sports. Like, he probably should have shaken his hand, but, like, just the game is so different. There's no real hatred in the game anymore. And sometimes I think you have to cross that line in order to build up some of that animosity. And that's what Isaiah Thomas and the whole Pistons did. When you look back, maybe you can say, yeah, maybe you should have gone up to him and just done a little something. But you know what? I fucking love it. Nothing changes going forward. It just causes that much more drama. It's great TV. I love the, the fact they still hate each other today. They're like, there's nothing you can show me on this video that's going to make me change my mind. And they show Mike the video, and he's like, right away, fuck off. So yeah, like, I, I, fuck I love that fact. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, even though, like, uh, the one thing I like about this that uh, I'm sure Michael Jordan's old teammates won't like is how much of a snitch he was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's with his teammate. Oh, I think he was married at the time, too. And he's like, oh, he's a, he's a one-woman man. No, he's not. Oh, he's an alcoholic, mom and dad. If you're watching, family's <laughs> watching it. And then uh, the first year when he was a rookie, he's like, oh, yeah, it was a Coke circus on the team. I went in the locker or I went in the hotel. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not having any of this. I'm out. You have your weed smokers here. You have the Coke lines here. And then you have the women there. And imagine his teammates now just watching like, oh, my favorite teammate, Michael Jordan, the best of all time. They're watching with their grandkids. They're watching with their wife and kids. And that comes up. The, some of them have a lot of explaining to do. Uh, they're probably denying it. But if Michael Jordan says it's true, it's true. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, going back to your point about KD, I think KD, the way he just, like, he lost. He was, they were up 3-1 against Golden State, and they blow it, and he goes to that team. I think that is where the disrespect came. It's like, okay, if he, if he lost to the Rockets, Let's say, okay, so he lost to Houston, and then he goes to Golden State. Then we wouldn't probably even be talking about this. But the fact that they blew a 3-1 lead to Golden State, and then he goes to Golden State after that. I think that is where everyone kind of was like, oh, Kevin Durant, he sold out. Oh, screw him. He's a piece of shit. And, it, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to say, yeah, you know, I did what's best for me, you know, um, where my game's going to flourish. I get that. I get, you know, you want to win, you want to change your culture, change, you know, your legacy, whatever. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be a dark cloud on his legacy. And it's because of that. And again, like you said about Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan, that disrespect, it thrives in sports. You need that hatred. Look at the Sharks and the Kings. Look at the Leafs and the, and the Sens. Look at all those rivalries in the NHL. In the NBA, there's nothing now. There's no hatred. Oh, you know, we could talk about Curry versus LeBron. You got Kawhi versus LeBron. Kawhi this, that. They don't hate each other. No one hates each other nowadays. I don't know if it's because of media exposure and all these commercials and these shoe deals. I don't know if it's because of that. But I do agree in some point, Pinello, with you. And you do need that hatred in this day and age in any sport. You need that you need that motivation. You need that competitive edge. We all know that Draymond has it. West, Russell Westbrook has it. They have that animosity. Beverly has it. But guys like Steph Curry, guys like KD, guys like Kyrie, they don't have that edge anymore. You know what I mean? Like LeBron, even LeBron James, he doesn't have that, oh, I hate these guys. I want to, like, that is where the GOAT conversation becomes a little bit more clear. You talk about MJ's the GOAT. When you think of, like, assassin mentality you think of kobe bryant and you think of michael jordan when you think of all in all success and you know how many how many times you're going to go to the finals lebron james is up there with the greats but did lebron ever go into the media and say i'm thirsty to get another teammate i want this i want that especially when you go to miami similar situation with kevin durant you could talk about is 
is Mike is LeBron James, you know, disrespecting his legacy? Is this where we draw the line where it, did he sell out as well? So for me, my biggest thing with this whole situation, we're talking about Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons and the Bulls, and we're talking about KD and all this, is you need that competitive edge. You need that in this day and age. You need more Pat Beverly's. But, Pino, we were talking the other night about Draymond Green and how much you hate about how much he goes out and he speaks his mind. I think there's not enough people in the league that do that. I think you need more people like that. If more people do that, then we will maybe get more of a Pistons-Bulls type feel. And imagine that in this day and age with the media. That would be Hey, insane. you know what? That was before I watched the All the Smoke podcast. After that, I fell in love with Draymond Green. So just fucking scratch everything I said before. <laughs> Because, like, you talk about, like, guys that were, like, not the greatest. Like, you talk about, like, Barkley. Like, he's great, but he was never, like, a GOAT. But he really was vocal. Like, he would go in your face and be like, yeah, I hate you. I hate your guts. I think you're shit. Same with guys like KG, Kevin Garnett. He was a he was an animal. He'd go out there and he'd be like, yeah, Allen Iverson, you're a, you're a pipsqueak. You're not that good. I'll, I'll eat you in the paint. Or Tim Duncan, he tried to get him off his game. So, you know... I don't know if this is where social media, because we all know that players are now a lot more invested in their phones. Like Kevin Durant, apparently he has a lot of businesses relating to social media. So I don't know if it's because of that, where you need to have a good moral with everybody nowadays. But I would just love to see that animosity more in, in this day and age, especially with like, you have tears now, like, t- like, uh, Alino, I'll let you maybe more talk about this. Uh, Max Kellerman, Stephen A. You're talking about top five players in the NBA where this sparked a massive debate where you always have Max Kellerman saying Kawhi Leonard is a top three player. He's number two. We're talking about it last week or two weeks ago where you had Kawhi over LeBron James. I feel like this is where we need this more often, where we need guys to be a little more vocal and changing up their ways. So, especially with tiers, like you have Kevin Durant, who could be the best, Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James could still be the best. I think this is where the animosity has to grow. All these guys have to compete with one another and not dab each other after the game. Come on. So, that's what do you guys think on that? Like, when you think of tiers of players, do you think those top-tier players should be a little bit more competitive? I think we're seeing to a little bit now with Kawhi and the Clippers because uh... – there was that whole thing of like, oh, how come LeBron didn't want to guard him that whole first opening game? Was he like intimidating by Kawhi now in his new surroundings now that he's not on one leg in Toronto and now that he's at full strength and he can just do whatever he wants and then load management and basically doesn't have to play every game. Why does he want to do that? Like LeBron coming out and trying to goad him into it and be like, oh, I wouldn't do a load management. I would play every single game because uh, for the fans, for myself, like – Kawhi Leonard's not going to do that. He doesn't care like what LeBron thinks. He doesn't care what the media thinks. He goes about his business. He's going to do what works for him. That's what Popovich did in San Antonio. And Kawhi found that it worked to a certain point, and he did it in Toronto. He won a championship and a finals MVP. So I like how Kawhi doesn't go into that where, all right, fine, I'm going to play now an extra 10 games because LeBron said, oh, my legacy's not going to go because I load management. So I think we have that kind of back and forth with the players and you got to pick your battles with the kind of player you want to do that with. Like maybe Kevin Durant would be an easy one because as soon as you say something, he's going to go and get a burner account and go make 5,000 replies to himself. And then he'll be vocal on the court. So I think Kevin Durant's probably the best example of today. Like if you want to get a rivalry going, he's exactly the person I want to be focal point of. Is he going to be right back there in that rivalry with uh, best in the world with LeBron and Kawhi? I just think my so my point is saying like if he's going to be in that discussion, you have yeah. to you have to be motivated and you have forget forget the likes, forget the Instagram followers, forget all that. It's about legacy now. It's about respect. It's about do you want to ever be the best player in the league at some point? So I think if I'm Kevin Durant and you're coming back from a very scary injury, I think yeah, like Kevin Durant should be very very motivated and have that competitive edge and say you know what screw lebron i want to be better than him this year i want to you know i want to win the throne so i think when you think of those guys 
I, yeah, Pinello, I agree. I think he's going to be right there, and I think this is where the competitive edge has to come through. I mean, you hear it all the time with KD. The guy's so motivated to play basketball. All Every time you hear him in interviews, all, the only thing he says is, I just want to hoop. Just let me hoop, and then I'll deal with the rest. So I think the burner account stuff, all that stuff's on the side. Maybe he should cut it out a little bit, but I think he's absolutely motivated to get right back there. Uh, the team, like everyone jumps from team to team. That's just kind of the league now. I don't, I just kind of, it doesn't really phase me anymore. So like, I love KD. I think he brings the drama. He brings the heat. That guy will be right back there. I love it. Okay. So if, with that being said, do you think maybe players should be looking at the game maybe a little more in terms of uh, being successful? Like, cause we all know like you could be a great scorer and, you know, you don't have to be in the drama. Like, look at Steph Curry. He's never really been in drama. He's just, he goes out there. He's the best shooter of all time. But do you think, like, it comes to a point where, like, drop the cell phone, drop the act, and just go at it? Like, do you think that we'll ever see that again? Like, where, like, you mentioned Kawhi and LeBron kind of going at it in L.A. Do you think we could see that with, like, Giannis and KD in the East? Like any animosity, or do you think Katie's kind of like, nah, like I'm not, I'm not about that. I think that'll develop over time just because when you look at the two teams that are on and where they're going to meet, I think they'll build that hatred towards each other. But a guy like KD, he's gonna, he's gonna do whatever he wants. He doesn't give a shit about the media. So when it comes to just him hooping, uh, I'm, I'm confident that there's uh he's going to get back to that level and he's going to draw some sort of animosity regardless of who he meets in the conference but it's probably going to be Giannis when you look at it long term for next year uh but that's the matchup to watch I, don't, I you know what I don't know if Giannis has that in him if I'm being honest because he he could be so dominant at times but like does is does he have that dominant type of personality because we see it on the court but I don't know if that's him off the court yet I, I'm going to ask this question for Alino. Do you think, when you, when you think of like TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all these social medias, do you think that kind of demoralizes the impact that these athletes actually have, like towards being competitive? Because we all see LeBron James and he's doing this Taco Tuesday and you have Giannis and he's like, you know, in bed with his girlfriend and you see him like making jokes. Like, I feel like there should be a rule at some point. I don't like I know it's not going to happen, but I think there should be this rule where when you're a head coach or a GM of any NBA team in the postseason, cut the bullshit, get rid of the phones, get rid of the personality online and just be the best competitor you can be. I think that's what my that's what my message is. Maybe after watching this doc for like kids like Zion, guys like Doncic, like they, if they watch this. Just think of it in the long term, cut the bullshit, and just be the best competitor you can be and see what the results will be. Because I feel like no player does that nowadays. I think it's like every player's different. Like we saw Kawhi, I don't even think he, he doesn't really have social media that he uses. So it probably works for him. Uh, Kevin Durant probably feeds off it a bit because it motivates him a lot. And then you have some other players that just do other things. Uh, play video games like Devin Booker and try, like the younger generation of players. They'll use that as a way of a release. And then once they get on the court, they're energized. They found a way to get away from it for a while. Like we even saw in this documentary, Dennis Rodman invented load management by going to Las Vegas and said, I need a vacation in the middle of the season. <laughs> so that worked for him. And then when he came back, they were expecting he come pajamas, first of all. And then Michael Jordan's like, oh, no, he's going to get it a lot of time. He's. Just be glad he's here. And he talked about that drill where Dennis Rodman, they had to wait for him to get back in shape. And then uh, they're jogging at that pace. And then when it's time for Dennis Rodman to go up, a guy who was just partying for like more than a week ends up lapping them like four times. That's how in shape he was. So Rodman, like guys like that, that worked for him. That was his release. During the finals of all things, he goes to WCW Nitro and he's a member of an NWO <laughs> with Hogan and Nash and Hall. He's a member of the NWO during the finals so that was his way of getting away from basketball and then once he's back on the court he's that same monster defensively so each player's different i just say like whatever works for them if you're going to get the best possible performance out of them then i'm all for it 
Perfect. There it is. Should probably end it on that. That was solid. <laughs> I, I just I still can't believe like how salty Isaiah Thomas is. Like I I can't like I know like the dream team like you wanted to be a part of it, but man like that was like thirty years ago almost. Like damn the hatred's there. And I love it. I'm there for it. Like what Pinello said, but damn, he should have just shook his hand. It's just yeah. things would have been so different if he just shook his hand. He's got. He was saying before he has pretty much everything except that gold medal, <laughs> and if that's the reason why he was left off, uh, yeah, I feel for him a little. <laughs> it's like it happened with like they're almost sixty these guys, and the way they talk about it is if it happened fucking yesterday. Like, it's still <laughs> in their veins about it all the time. You can clearly see it. Like, it looks like a Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Triple H type of thing, where the, the, Bret Hart is like Michael Jordan talking about this bad thing that happened. He's still so pissed off about it. He can win fucking five more titles, and he is still pissed about that one thing that happened in 1990. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right, so this was another episode. Uh, hopefully, uh, some of the areas here wouldn't be too cracked out. I know we lagged in and out a few times, but uh, for the points that you heard, hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week for another episode. We close in on 80 in a couple weeks. So uh, that was it for this week. Stick around. Uh, watch some pa- Listen to some past episodes if you want, some past lists that we put. Like Matt Sundin, where we thought about him. Maybe next week we'll have something else in store. But yeah, that was all. And watch The Last Dance.